What are you talking about? You are Elastigirl. My God, pull yourself together. What will you do? Is this a question? You will show him that you remember that he is Mr. Incredible and you will remind him who you are. Well, you know where he is. Go confront the problem. Fight. Win. And then call me when you get back, darling. I enjoy our visits. <laughs> was that good? <laughs> um, that was great. <laughs> your pick a film podcast i'm tatum and i'm geneva we are two friends who love movies and love sharing them with each other each week we take turns picking a film that is close to our hearts and talk about why it moves us to tears to laughter and everything in between we celebrate the craft of filmmaking as well as the unique and personal ways we find meaning in the movies we watch Tatum. We are back for another week. And yes, we are. I'm super excited for today's episode. I feel like <laughs> I say that every <laughs> every week. I mean, this but... is the great thing about hosting a podcast where we just pick our favorite movies is we get excited. Uh, yeah. At least every other week, we are guaranteed right. to be excited. <laughs> I mean, I feel like most of the movies, even when I haven't chosen them, I've been excited about for, mm. for most of them. Yeah, same. Um, but... Yeah. All right. Well, before we jump into um, our discussion for this week, uh, do you want to share with us anything you've been watching? Sure. Um, I, not really very much because we actually recorded, recorded like last three days ago, just a couple <laughs> days ago. So, <laughs> look at us. We haven't watched an entire season of a show in three days. I think I know, that deserves so a round of applause. <laughs> I love how you're like, I deserve congratulations, and I'm like, I'm so ashamed. <laughs> what am I doing? <laughs> How dare um, you live a life that's not watching things? Yes, yes. I have too many interests outside of movies. I need to tone them down. Um, so the the only thing that I, I have watched between our last recording and um, and now is I finally finished the miniseries Dope Sick, which mm. I think I might have mentioned to you when I first started watching. It's definitely yeah. a, a series that's on the heavy side. I one of those that I could only watch one episode a night. Um, so it, it took me a while to get through, but it's really, really good. I do recommend it. It definitely sticks with you. Um, it, it, it's infuriating and enlightening and, um, yeah, made made me want to go out and read some more about, um, what, you know, what is the history behind all of this and what is the, the current state of it now? So, yeah, would recommend some really, really excellent acting performances as well, particularly from Michael Keaton, who's always, I mean, he's always great, but, um, you know, he gets this really dramatic role in this and he does a great job. So I need to watch more things with Michael Keaton in them. Whenever I watch something and he happens to be there, I'm like, oh, wow, he's a really good actor. And then I never watch more of his performances. I should do that. Mm. Um, but yes, Dope Sick is definitely on my list. Um, for me, I have, uh, so I finished out documentary now. Um, the last two episodes, documentary now is just, it is such a gift there. I feel like there's no other show that is like this on television right now. And it just, just makes me so happy. It is so, I just love shows that are just stupid and they know that they're stupid and they try to make them as stupid as 
Like it's just, it's so dumb, but it's hilarious and I absolutely love it. So, um, yeah, I finished up documentary now. Um, what else? I, fun fact about me, Geneva, I don't actually know if you know this. I love the television show Shark Tank. So, uh, <laughs> I did not know that about you. Interesting. Yeah. I, uh, I watched an episode of Shark Tank this weekend and, uh, oh, I meant to mention there was something I watched a few weeks back, actually. Um, so it's been a, a, a minute since I watched it, but I watched the A24 slash Netflix show uh, Beef. And Ooh, what yeah, what did you think of that? Uh, that's been on my list. Yeah, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting ride. Um, I don't even really know how to summarize it. It's basically it's kind of it, it, so the story revolves around these two protagonists who are both people who are very unhappy in their life circumstances for particular reasons. And so the two of them happen to meet uh, in a parking lot (laughs) and uh, one of them cuts off the other and it starts off this crazy relationship between the two of them. Their lives get very intertwined and they try and, you know, get back at each other and then they try and stay away from each other to create distance and then things bring them back together and, chaos ensues and a lot of unexpected turns. Um, I, I enjoyed it. I will say the, the middle of it did kind of lose me a little bit. Um, I feel like it kind of got caught up in the weeds of other minor storylines that weren't really that interesting. And it ended up making things a little bit confusing, but I would say the show starts out very strong and it also ends very strong. So I would recommend it if you want to watch a show with about two people that are kind of just learning how to navigate the world with their own super messed up baggage, um, but then somehow trying to seek some sort of contentment with their existence in the world at the same time. I would say this is the show for you. Um, It's if you don't like watching shows where there's a lot of terrible people and the protagonists are terrible people. Wouldn't recommend it in that sense because they're not really redeemable in any way. Um, but I, I, I would say it's worth watching. Just, just stick through the middle of it because it does, it does come through at the end. Um, okay. Yeah, but, I've been yeah. curious about. I've heard really good things about it. My natural uh, state is. Um, Netflix puts out so many shows that get buzz and then go away, and so I just kind of tend to ignore most of what Netflix points out and then Mm -hmm. hope that the really good ones will rise to this top and actually be still talked about a year or two later and then I'll finally get around. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But this is one that what I'd heard from it had actually made me want to to see it sooner than that. So that's it's good to to hear your recommendation. I mean it's got Stephen Young in it. What what more do you need? Stephen literally what more do you need is one of my favorite that is he, he's primarily a, the reason why I was thinking he's about watching a it. dream actor of mine. I would love to work with him. Um, but yeah, so that is beef. And then I, th- I think that's, I mean, it's only been three freaking days. So it's only I'm been like, three days. <laughs> and beef I watched weeks Calm ago. Down. So I'm like, I haven't really watched much, but it's been three days and it was a weekend. So, um, yeah, but anyway, so those are, that's what we've been watching. Um, but let's go ahead and move forward onto yeah. our film discussion. So, Today on the show, we will be discussing the 2004 Pixar film, The Incredibles, written and directed by Brad Bird. The film follows Robert Parr, a man who, along with the rest of the superheroes across the world, is forced to leave the limelight and retire from his life of fighting crime. Fifteen years later, Bob is an unhappy man working in insurance who has disconnected from his wife and three kids. 
When an opportunity to relive the glory days arises, Bob jumps at it. The decision winds up putting him in serious danger that requires his family to come rescue him. Once they're all together, they fully unleash their powers to save their city and their family. So this movie was um, released during a time where Pixar was still a relatively new name. Uh, So The Incredibles really solidified Pixar Animation Studios as a unique part of the film industry that was able to create animated movies that were equally meaningful and entertaining for kids and adults alike. Um, That fact made The Incredibles a massive financial success as well as a critical success. It earned $632 million at the global box office and became the fourth highest grossing film of 2004. And just a fun fact, I actually didn't realize when rewatching this movie how old this movie actually was. I feel like it just came out yesterday, but (laughs) that's not true. Um, And so this film, because it came out in 2004, it actually was a monumental film for Pixar Animation Studios because it was their first film to be made up of an entire human cast, which required the studio to create new technologies in order to accommodate the just a wide array of animation challenges like facial expressions and hair movements and, you know, clothing and things like that. So um, yeah, so that's kind of our little overview before jumping into this. Um, this movie is, yeah, I'm not going to get into my thoughts first, actually, because I'm going to ask Geneva. Um, Geneva, what do you think about this movie? What's your relationship with it? Please tell us. I mean, like like so many people my age, you know, I saw this movie in theaters when it came out, loved it. It's a absolute all-time, just one of the greatest animated films ever made, Um and yeah, I just, oh man, thinking about the, the absolute hot streak that Pixar was on at the time, because this movie, yeah. I was just looking up the list totally. of Pixar's releases, you know, Toy Story 2, Monsters, Inc., Finding Nemo, The Incredibles, like that's an incredible run, yep. you know, not even mentioning the films around them, which are also classics. I mean, Bugs like, Life this... is great. Toy Story 2 is great. Mm-hmm. You know? I remember enjoying Cars, even though it got merchandised to death. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Still currently being merchandised. <laughs> <laughs> but there, there really is something special about this movie in particular. I mean, all Pixar movies... You know, we always say like the thing that's so special about them is the fact that they are enjoyable and meaningful to adults as well as they are to kids and not in the like sort of cheap Shrek type humor where it's like throw in some dirty jokes that will go over kids heads to keep the adults engaged like I mean no disrespect to people who like that that's fine it's not my thing but Pixar manages to pack these really adult situations and themes and really relatable, um, you know, questions and and human emotions into these things. And and the older you get, the more you, the more depth reveals itself. I remember, um, you know, the the core scene in this movie to me, the thing that sticks with me most, not not core in terms of like what the movie is trying to say, but the scene that is most moving to me is the scene where um, Helen and the kids are flying in this airplane toward the the island trying to rescue Bob. Um, I guess not even realizing that he's in danger necessarily. And Bob is on the island. He's tied up. He's unable to, to do anything. And the bad guy, Syndrome, fires these missiles at the plane. And Helen is trying to get him, disengage, disengage, abort, abort, abort. And then she finally says, disengage, there are children aboard, there are children aboard. And I just remember, like, even as a kid, and a chill went up my spine 
at that part. And still to this day, every time I hear it, there's just, there's some deeper level that that goes to that sort of, oh my gosh, this is opening up a completely different um, idea of, you know, it's, it's, it's like as a child starting to realize that there's the world is a bigger and more complex place. There's such a thing as really real good and real evil and that there's um, just things that are so terrifying that you, you don't really know how to confront them. Um, somehow that always gets, <laughs> that little scene always gets at those ideas to me, something about it, because it's in, a, in the middle of a children's film and you don't necessarily expect it to be that intense, to go to that place. Um, but it does, and it just it does it so well, and it's it's age appropriate, which is great. Like Pixar always manages to ride that line really, really well. Um, it's not too scary for kids, but it's scary enough to to allow kids to see that there's um, that there is are scary things about the world, and yeah, I just <laughs> yeah, it always it always brings tears to my eyes in a little a little bit. This movie really moves me emotionally. Um, I think the the story of the family, um, the the way they all have their kind of disparate desires and anxieties, but they can find this really beautiful place of understanding and working together is is really sweet. Um, I think the villain is really interesting. Um, I'm excited to talk about his motivations and kind of what the movie is saying about that because I think there's been a lot of, you know, uh, there's a lot to untangle there. But yeah, this movie is is so good it's so well done and yeah i'm really excited that you chose it well i i have to say when i chose this movie i was not really aware of how of how highly you revered it and then when i looked at letterboxd i was like geneva rated this movie as five stars so geneva and i are on the same on the same wavelength with this um so yeah, I I agree with everything that you said. Um, we're, I'm actually going to have us go through our short ranking of, of Pixar films in a moment here, but this is my favorite Pixar film. And in my opinion, nothing comes even close to it. I think that this is the peak of Pixar films in terms of walking that line of of appealing to adults and appealing for children. Because I think... Um, I mean, they always walk that line, right? But I think some of their movies do lean a little bit too heavily towards parents or or maybe a little bit heavier towards kids, like planes. Adults aren't going to go watch freaking planes. Like, no, kids just want to look at planes flying. But um, I don't even, I kind of forget. That. I mean, that's kind of a post, you know, Pixar starting to go downhill. Right. Pixar movie. I hardly even consider that to be part of the canon, but I guess it technically is. Yeah. Right. So just like given all of the films that Pixar's made, I really think that this is that just that perfect example of walking that line. Um, and I, too, while watching this movie, I actually got very emotional in several moments. That hasn't happened to me, I think, in the past watching this movie. But maybe that's because the last time I watched this movie, I was probably like 15 years old. <laughs> um, and now I'm older and I have more of a like maternal view of children and also more of a family oriented mindset and understanding how complex families can be and how like there's a lot of dynamics there but at the end of the day you still love each other even though you might hate each other at the same time <laughs> like this movie just really hit hard for me and I think 
I think that's because the last time I was watching this movie, I was a child and now I'm watching it and I'm an adult. So I experienced it in, in a different way. Um, but yeah, I, I think this movie is incredible. Um, uh, pun not intended, but I guess that's a pun. <laughs> hey <there>. Um, <laughs> But just to like kind of share a little bit about like the first time I saw this movie. So this movie is very special to me because it takes me back to just to a specific moment in my life. Because I remember there was one point when I was in school and my dad, he would take me to the movie theater every single time I got onto the honor roll. And so this was either the first or the second time he took me to the theater to see a movie because of getting on the honor roll. And I just like, I don't know. I, I have so many pleasant memories of just going to the movie theater with my dad. And this is one of the first times we ever had that experience, just the two of us. And so every time I watch this movie, I literally have like a mental image of me and my dad sitting there. And I remember certain moments that he laughed at or like certain moments that, Aww. so yeah, th- this movie, it just, it takes me back to a time, a simpler time when like th- the biggest thing that mattered in my life was getting the honor roll, <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, like that was, those were my biggest concerns and, and my parents, like, you know, I remember my parents, like they would plan it in advance, you know, cause I have three siblings, so we'd be busy all the time, but my parents would like plan it out. This is the night that, you know, Tatum mm-hmm. and, and, and my dad are, are going to go to, uh, go to the theater. So, um, what is um what's your memory of the biggest laugh line that oh we got from your dad because I when, vividly remember the biggest laugh line that my theater gave to the movie okay well so I I guess this probably just shows my dad's humor a little bit but it was the scene it was like during that whole during Dash's whole sequence where he's like running and everything then there's this scene when he or that moment when he gets on top of the aircraft and he's like dodging the punches and he's like ha and he punches like <laughs> super super fast because he like he's just like discovering his powers in the moment mm. and he's like whoa I can punch this guy super fast <laughs> So I remember my dad laughing at that for sure. Um, also, my dad, I've mentioned before, he loves Samuel L. Jackson. So, you know, just there's so many. Yeah, a lot of moments with that, too. But yeah. So let's let's get into um, if you don't mind waiting a little bit, Geneva, to share what part in the theater for you had the biggest laugh. But oh, yeah, I'd love to just share real quick before we jump into the full Incredibles review, what our top five Pixar films are between the two of us. Uh, did you end up having time to prepare your list? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, cool. You want to go first? Sure. Are we doing um, five to one? Yeah. Okay. So five for me is Wally. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yes. Uh, four is Toy Story 2. Uh, three is... Actually, I keep sort of um, flipping. I keep flipping my two and three, but... okay with what we've just been talking about i'm gonna say three is coco okay two is the incredibles mm-hmm. and then one for me is ratatouille oh okay that that makes mm-hmm. sense for you yeah. <laughs> <laughs> honestly that makes a lot of sense for you um Thank oh you. cool yeah i okay i don't want to spend too much time talking about our rankings i was just curious but i know a yeah. lot of people really 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 love wally it's not it's not mm-hmm. really my favorite. Yeah. But what's what? What's the thing that made you go kind of oh interesting? 
Uh, just just that. the fact that you chose Wally because everyone mm-hmm. loves Wally, and I feel like I'm the outlier. I'm like, it's fine, but I don't understand why everyone loves it. But I also, I think I've only seen it twice, and that was a long time mm-hmm. ago. So maybe if I yeah. rewatched it, I would kind of get more. I, I haven't seen it in a long time. I do generally have the similar opinion to the mo- what many people have in that the first half is much stronger than the second half. Mm-hmm. But the mm-hmm. first half to me is so strong that yeah. it kind of puts it above every other Pixar yeah. movie for for whatever reason Wally was one of the ones that we would re rewatch way mm-hmm. more than um like your your Finding Nemo or your Monsters yeah. Inc or something like that well I don't believe in climate change so maybe <laughs> <laughs> not true I 100% believe in climate change I'm a huge advocate for the environment recycle all those things um anyway <laughs> Um, all right. So my top five, uh, my number five is Finding Nemo. Uh, that was actually the second movie I ever saw in theaters. Uh, mm. maybe we'll talk about that again on the yeah. podcast at some point, but well, Toy Story 2 is the first movie I ever saw in theaters. Finding Nemo made me want to be a 3D animator. I actually initially went to college to study 3D animation. Um, and that didn't happen, but I, I wanted to be an animator for a long time and Finding Nemo kind of jumpstarted that. Um, okay. My number four is Monsters, Inc. I absolutely adore that film. Um, number three is Toy Story 2. I, one of the best sequels ever, in my opinion. It's just oh, so absolutely. stinking good. It's just um, quietly up there with, you know, Empire Strikes Back, The Godfather yeah. Part 2, Aliens, like yeah. Toy Story 2. It's right a, in there. It's a flipping good movie. Um, number two, which is a movie that Geneva and I saw together in theaters. <laughs> number two is, is Coco. Uh, uh, Geneva I, and I balled together with at, in the theaters. Yeah. I just still remember the lights <laughs> coming up and the two of us looking at each other. And a hot mess. Tears streaming down our face. The man uh, next to us, the like sweet middle-aged dad, tears streaming down his face. Yep. With his daughter, who's like, with his daughter, is everyone who's like, crying? Yeah, is everyone okay? <laughs> it's like, yeah, we'll be fine eventually. Uh, it's fine, Such but yes, Coco's number two, number one is The Incredibles. So, Finding Nemo, Monsters Inc., Toy Story Two, Coco, The Incredibles. So it Good sounds list. like we've got a fair crossover there. I think you did. You have Finding Nemo or no? No. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So great Finding movie. Nemo just and gotcha. didn't connect with it as much. Yep. Yeah. Um, okay, cool. That was fun. Yeah. I love it. We should do rankings whenever we can. I love doing that. It's fun. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, cool. So moving on, we can just kind of jump into our discussion of the film specifically. Um, Geneva, do you have any like opening thoughts that you have or would you want me to get us started? Uh, you can go get us started. Okay. So I will just get started with, uh, my first note that I have in my phone or in my phone in my notebook. <laughs> um, what does it say about me that phones and notebooks are the same thing in my brain? Um, anyway, so the first thing I wrote down in my notebook was that I I love the opening interviews to this movie. I feel mm-hmm. like it just sets this really interesting tone of, I, I don't know, it just, it makes this world feel real. I don't know why, but just the fact that it has like history and newspapers and all of these things, it makes it feel like this isn't just an animated fictional world. It feels really real to me. And I loved like, I just love the humor in it. You know, I love how these sequences where, 
where Mr. Incredible is like, sometimes I just wish the world would stay saved. And then, <laughs> then he like stands up to take his microphone off and the interviewer is like, we're not, we're not done. <laughs> I just, I love the opening of just all those interviews. I think they're really great. Um, and it, it does kind of confuse me a little bit sometimes in this opening sequence about the timeline of the movie, because like the newspapers, the sounds of the microphones, the camera, I'm like, this looks like it was filmed in the 1940s, but then Mm. you say 15 years later and it's clearly the modern day. So I don't know what's happening here. Is it clearly the modern day? I mean, one of the things that I was really sort of, appreciating anew as I was rewatching this movie is just the retro futuristic look to it that you know the the style that they use for all of the cars and the houses and the the cool technology that syndrome uses it's all this sort of um you know a 1950s or 60s idea of what the future is going to look like it's not the actual future um like I mean People don't really, they're not really using cell phones. Um, they have a computer, though. Like, yeah, they have a, a little, little bit here computer. and there. But it's it's this really nice amalgam of all these sort of aesthetics and technologies from different ages. And so the world, to me, feels really consistent in a really satisfying way. And I think the, the opening sequence does such a great job of, of setting that up, this sort of post-war, Cold War you know, we're not quite sure when this takes place, but it's definitely of a piece of your, you know, Superman in the 1930s and also your, um, you know, Buck Rogers in the 21st century or, um, you know, whatever comics were coming out in, in the 50s. And, you know, the idea of Tomorrowland, which, of course, Brad Bird directed a movie called Tomorrowland based on that idea. Um, you know, just all the that sort of 50s, 60s, 40s, 50s, 60s idea of the future. Um, it's just, it's so classy, it's so stylish, and it looks great. Yeah, I find that to be an interesting perspective, because in my brain, it's it's definitely modern day, but um, but I don't don't think that actually matters to the film, what time period it's in, um, but I think that I find that to be an interesting perspective. Um... But yeah, so I guess just like just moving forward a little bit, I, I I don't know. I feel like for me watching this movie this time around, I really, really, I almost feel like this movie is about Bob and Helen's marriage and everything mm-hmm. else just kind of revolves around it because we see from the very beginning this whole like, I'm sorry, but like foreplay dynamic of the <laughs> two of them being like, you need to be more flexible are you doing anything they're so later like, it's really cute and so I just love how it, it sets up their relationship from the very beginning of kind of seeing how how they're a good match and how playful they are and you can get this idea of why they fell in love with each other and then it jump cuts to this you know honestly you know seemingly more not, not more realistic but just like I could see a marriage getting to a place like this 15 years later when, you know, mm-hmm. this huge thing that they bonded over has been taken away and they can't be a part of it anymore. And now they have kids and they're tied down and blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, the whole, at least my opinion, the whole movie kind of revolves around their arc and how they start together and then they gradually separate. But, you know, Helen wants to trust him, even though he keeps going on all of these like, you know, um, conferences and doesn't know where he is. And then when Edna starts hinting at him, not being where he says, she's like, but I trust him. I can't. Ah. Um, and then they come together at the end. And especially that whole 
moment that you kind of mentioned before of of him thinking that she's dead and then he then he realizes she's not and he's like you keep trying to pick a fight but I'm still happy you're alive (laughs) you know and then at the very end they have that sequence when they're driving on the expressway it's like no don't take seven (laughs) you asked me how to get there and I told you Mm -hmm. (laughs) um But yeah, I don't know if you have a similar perspective, but I feel like for me this time around, it really does just feel like a movie that is ultimately about their marriage and everything else is just around it. And I think, I think that it's, it's hinted at because we have that scene where, where Violet's like, mom and dad's lives could be in jeopardy or worse, (laughs) their marriage. (laughs) Dash is like, what are you talking about? He's like, their marriage. (laughs) So I don't know. I just found that to be really meaningful and I connected with it a lot um, on this rewatch. Yeah, I think they do such a wonderful job of developing Bob and Helen, both as characters individually, but totally really exploring the way that they interact with each other and that that way they do such a good job which is not easy to do I think of making it really believable that these two people have known each other for over Mm -hmm. 15 years that they've been married to each other for 15 years known each other for a lot longer than that they are each other's best friends they also get on each other each other's nerves a lot they're very different people you know they bring very different things to this marriage and sometimes those things cause conflicts but they can kind of flip the switch between you know, really arguing with each other, yelling at each other because, you know, they can't see the other person's viewpoint to all of a sudden being united with each other, being flirty with each other. Um, You know, just there's just all these different shades and dynamics in the way that they relate to each other. But it all it all makes sense. You know, it's all it's all very believable and very human. And yeah, I I think this movie is just it's about family in in general you know like so the marriage is so core to it and I think just their um, individual and as a unit their relationships to the idea of family is so important you know so much of this movie is about Bob coming to terms with the fact that he's no longer the sort of solo man off on his own superhero that he used to be and he has to get used to the fact that he is now exists as part of a larger unit and that's okay and he has to let himself be vulnerable and let them help him and be there for them when they need him you know and it's just such a oh go ahead that was gosh I I don't know what was what was mm-hmm. going on with me when I rewatched this movie. But again, like I got very emotional at several moments watching this. Oh my goodness. And that yes. moment when he's like, I can't lose you again. Mm-hmm. I'm not strong enough. I was like, it's so good. Ah, my heart hurts. <laughs> oh it's my goodness. So good. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so, so incredible seeing how he starts as this kind of, you know, young, big shot superhero who's super like, Hey, we're superheroes. What's the worst that could happen? And then he's basically just totally humiliated and, and doesn't, he's basically just a robot walking around. Like he doesn't care about mm-hmm. anything that's happening in his life at all. And then by the, you know, because Helen tells him at one point, like, like your family is what's happening now and you're missing this. Mm-hmm. And he's then so I've, caught up in trying to recreate the glory days and bring back who he used to be that he's not even recognizing the fact that he has this new identity that he could really shine in if he cared to actually put the effort into it. Right. And then we see that kind of clicking in his brain by the end of like, my family is what matters. But at the end, at, at the same time, I love how the movies basically like get, 
you know, it's communicating lots of different messages by the end of like, you know, yes, Bob had his priorities maybe not in the right place. And now that it's focused on his family, which is a good thing, but also like this superhero aspect of him is a huge part of who he is and it needs Mm -hmm. to be, it needs to still exist within him. He can't be himself without having that. And I don't think that's a bad thing. And so I love by the end, we kind of get to see him be his full self of, of reconciling this one half of himself with the other. And they don't have to be mutually exclusive. He can be fully Mm -hmm. invested in his family and be himself as a superhero at the same time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Question. What do you think? Does, does Helen have an arc in this movie? Do you think, or is her, her journey more just reacting to Bob's journey? Let me, let me think about that for a minute. I mean, yes, she definitely has one. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I mean, obviously she's an incredible, well-rounded character. It's just because more of the, the narrative journey seems to be focused on, on Bob. I'm just curious if what your perspective is on the journey that she goes through, apart from obviously the, the journey of the family as a whole. Yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely something there of, I think both her and Bob have this sense of, you know, a part of us has died, but they're dealing with it in different ways. I think that Bob obviously has like spiraled into this pit of depression, which honestly, who wouldn't if they were working in insurance for that type of person (laughs) sitting in that office? Like Uh I would be really upset as well. But I think that um, Helen's response is kind of just, pretending like it never happened, you know? Mm-hmm. And I don't think that that's necessarily the right response either. And and in that she's almost, you know, because she's not embracing this side of herself, she's almost restricting her children at the same time and mm-hmm. not letting them embrace their true selves. And um, that's another thing that I love by the end, because, you know, we see in the beginning, Bob's kind of pushing her like, you really want to do something for Dash? Let him go out for sports. And she's like, you know why we can't do that. And, but, you know, we see at the end that there is a way for him to do that and actually, you know, have fun and, and exert himself. And, but I don't think that would have happened if Helen hadn't come around and realized like these superpowers are an important part of who we are. And I think we see her like when she's speaking to Violet, when they're at the cave and she's like, you're more powerful than you realize. I think Mm -hmm. she's speaking to herself as much as she's speaking to Violet and, you know, that whole sequence when she's doing her whole thing when she's on top of the like hover car thing or whatever it is. And it goes mm-hmm. into the, I, the, the, the center or whatever it is. And <laughs> she has her whole sequence and she's kind of just like, okay, easy, easy, easy girl. You know, she's like easing back into it, but mm-hmm. remembering that, oh yeah, I can do this and rebuilding her confidence as she goes along. So I think there's definitely an arc for her there of just kind of rediscovering who she is and, and, you know, not letting this part of her, die forever you know and and through that almost learning a new way to to love her kids too yeah that's a really good point one thing I was really struck by in this rewatch was the the relationship between Helen and Violet and specifically Mm -hmm. the moment where you know after the the harrowing plane sequence where Helen is screaming at Violet to put a force field around the plane and protect them and Violet Mm -hmm. can't do it because her whole life she's been told you know, she and Dash have been told you need to suppress your powers because they mm-hmm. are dangerous and they're going to get you noticed and it's going to cause trouble for the family. And then Helen That's afterwards... Deep. There's a lot of depth there that yeah. I'm like, Ooh. So <laughs> afterwards, Helen 
apologizes to her and is like, I'm really sorry. I shouldn't have put you in that position. It was mm-hmm. unfair of me to expect so much of you in such a short amount of time. You know, when you, th- this is not, this was not realistic for you to, to suddenly flip that switch and go from one extreme to the other. And that's on me. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that is, that it, it's a really nice moment of, you know, like that, that like human depth that that is that that really is how it would be as a as a person there's so many ways that that can be applicable to other situations and it's just a really nice moment of character growth for helen and and closeness for helen and violet yeah i i love that point even you just verbalizing you know her communicating that to violet and her kids i'm like oh my gosh there's there's something relatable for me there in terms of like being a kid and and I don't know. I think that I, I mean, I'm going to keep circling back to this, but this movie really is, it's so, it's just so mind blowing to me that this film can be so deep and so meaningful and be so relevant for adults Mm -hmm. while also being so much fun for kids. Because I mean, I was a kid, but also like, but also being like, young enough for children to understand, but not talking down to them or, or, but also not speaking in such a simple way that adults are like, all right, this is basic. It's really, it's really just fascinating to me how they're able to do that. Because for me as a kid, a lot of these concepts I did understand watching this of like, oh, you know, the mom doesn't really value the kid's superpowers. And now that like, I understood all of these things as a kid, but in a way more basic way, Mm -hmm. but I still got it, you know? And I also still just had so much fun. But now that I'm older, I'm like, I really am seeing so much depth and reality and just honesty to this script. And it really blows my mind how, <laughs> how this film is able to so perfectly just uh, appeal to everyone. Like this could be, it's like, it's equally a film for adults and equally a film for children. At like 100% in both directions. And I don't know how that's possible. <laughs> it's just, it's so special. And, you know, shout out to Brad Bird. He hasn't, he hasn't written and directed like a large amount of things. But um, this one in particular, I don't know. I think it just really stands out among his other projects. Um, yeah. He, you know, he, he is so talented. I, I really hope that he gets to do more things in the, the near future. Yeah. I mean, we talked about it a, a few I guess months ago at this point, but he directed both of our like favorite mission possible movie, which mm-hmm. is, I think we both agreed ghost protocol, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. He freaking directed that movie, which like you can kind of see how the same guy who directed the Incredibles also directed mission possible ghost mm-hmm. protocol. But um, yeah. I think that was, I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I think that was the first live action movie that he directed too. That was his I think Tomorrowland was I thought Tomorrowland was his um the movie he was able to make off the back of the success of Ghost Protocol. Am I wrong about this? Uh let me see. Oh my gosh. Freaking I swear I hate IMDb. (laughs) Why is the first thing that comes up additional crew? I don't No. Stop. IMDb's layout doesn't make any sense. Uh, yes. Tomorrowland was after, it was four years after Mission Impossible Protocol. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So, incredibly impressive debut. Yes. Live action debut. Yeah. Brad Bird, I just, yeah, he's so fascinating to me. 
Um, mm-hmm. Obviously did Ratatouille as well. Did um, The Iron Giant, which I assume that you have seen. I I have not seen it. It's been <gasps> You've on not my seen list for a long time. Oh my goodness. You need no, to stop it, it... everything right now and go watch The Iron Giant because it is okay, so funny. Okay, uh, we're logging off now and uh, we'll <laughs> see, see you, you next in 90 week. minutes. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been on my list for a really long time. It was just one of those things where when I was a kid, my parents never put it on. And so ever since I've been older, I've been meaning to watch it, but it just hasn't happened. But I know a lot of people mm-hmm. love it. Yeah, it's um, so underrated. It was it was not very successful when it first came out. So it's kind of a mm-hmm. cult classic in a certain way. For whatever reason, I think my dad really liked it. Um, and that's why we watched it a lot in my my family. But it is it is so good. I remember putting it on once when I was babysitting for the kids that I was babysitting for. By the end of it, I was in tears. And, you know, they're oh, just no. like... <laughs> They're just like la di da da. I'm like, but it's so meaningful. So anyway. does that movie also kind of walk that line of adult versus kids movie? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Very yeah. much so. Can we? Yeah, it's um, not a Pixar movie, but it you could see a lot of the the Pixar spirit in it. Yeah. Can, can we uh, just talk about a few? I okay mm-hmm. here's one thing I'm going to say and then I all I actually want us to dive into just talking about some of our favorite sequences from this movie because there's so many just sequences that I'm like oh this one's really good but that one's mm-hmm. really good but that one's really good um but just talking about things being relatable one of the lines in this movie that made me laugh so hard this time around <laughs> was when Bob was talking with Helen and she's like I can't believe you won't go to your son's graduation she's like it's not a graduation he's moving from the fourth grade to the fifth grade it's a ceremony it's psychotic they keep inventing all these new ways <laughs> and I think that's so funny because on the one hand yes it is psychotic but also my niece is graduating from kindergarten next weekend <laughs> and I have to buy like a $10 ticket. I'm like, this is the most incredible thing ever. She's graduating <laughs> from kindergarten. And I just thought that was so funny because there's, I feel like there's definitely the people that exist that are like, this is psychotic. <laughs> and then there's the people that are like, yeah, but we know them and therefore we care. <laughs> but I thought that was so funny. Oh my gosh. That's so funny. Not to mention just the writing in that argument is so realistic. Mm-hmm. Like that feels like a real, real argument. argument. Yeah. I'm like, have I had that argument with my spouse? Oh, wait, I'm not married. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. It's just it written by it. It sounds like it's written by someone who's been through uh, some sort of, you know, relationship kind of argument <laughs> before, which many people have um but anyway okay so can we just talk about some of our favorite sequences I don't know if you think about the movie in that sort of way but I do so sure would that work for you I don't want to like yeah yeah that's okay that's fine yeah you want to go first sure um I'm just going to kind of go through it chronologically I guess but um I love the the family dinner scene because the concept of like seeing because this family they're having a normal family argument but because they're superheroes it just (laughs) becomes something totally different and I like the idea of like for them this is totally normal like of course you know Dash is gonna run really fast around the table and Violet's gonna throw force fields to block him and (laughs) and you know they're all gonna try and control each other and then Bob who like does not care at all but he's being begged to jump into the situation he's like I guess I'll just lift the table like is this good enough for you I just I love that sequence I think it's really well written and I love 
again, this movie for me really does feel like it exists in the real world. And so Mm -hmm. watching that, I'm like, this feels like actual superheroes in the real world getting into an argument. Like it doesn't feel like a, it doesn't feel like a joke that was written for the movie of like, ha ha, wink, wink, superhero family having a fight. Like, no, it, it actually feels completely real to me. And I love that sequence. And I love how it ends with Lucius ringing the doorbell and they're like, oh, everybody sit down. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the doorbell rings. They're not quite sure yet who it is. And they all instantly snap back and look as if they're <laughs> normal. Yep. Which is very funny. Yeah. Ice, if you to drop by. Ha! Never heard that one before. <laughs> Just yeah. the little moment of um, where Dash spits the water and then Lucius freezes it and catches it. And Dash is like, oh, I like it when it shatters. And that's just a <laughs> little moment that shows you that he does, they do this all the time. You know, and he doesn't powers, always catch it. <laughs> yeah, these powers are just so normal to them and they have their own routines and sometimes they vary them. Yeah, I, I just, I love that whole sequence and how it escalates, how it starts with like, the family's just eating dinner. They're talking about their day and then they start talking about the principles. <laughs> he's cutting the plate and then he leaves. And I just, it's, it's so good. It's, mm-hmm. <laughs> he's like, great. First I got to pay to fix the car and I got to pay to fix the table. And then Helen's like, what happened to the car? <laughs> and he's like, whatever, I'm just going to go get a new plate. <laughs> Oh my gosh. It's just so, it's so real. And it's so good. Yeah. And I love one, it. One little note that I had never um, noticed before is the scene of, you know, just incredible filmmaking and the incredible visual eye of Brad Bird and his team. Because um, every scene of Bob in his um, car, boring, no, his boring insurance company oh, is just, uh-huh. it's so flat, it's so gray. And then the scene where he gets called into his boss's office, there are these wonderful little cutaways where you can see this focus on one little detail in particular, like his boss, like twiddling his thumbs or someone, you know, closing a (laughs) door. His little sausage fingers. (laughs) His little sausage fingers tapping the foot on the floor. And you just, it really, it like, it perfectly puts you into the headspace of Bob, who's kind of like his anxiety and anger is growing and he's just fixating on these tiny little details as he's getting more and more you know worked up and yeah it just you you watch it and you become infuriated because you're so perfectly in his headspace and um yeah and then the you know the the mugging is happening outside and and bob wants to help even just as like an ordinary citizen like he's not about to necessarily going to use his superpowers but the boss is just this tiny little like napoleon (laughs) figure and he's just like i must assert my power you know oh it's so i'm not even a superhero and i feel like in that circumstance i would be absolutely livid if i saw someone getting mugged and my Mm -hmm. boss was like well let's hope we don't cover him i'm like oh my gosh you you are such a psychopath like i i will say So again, watching this movie as an adult, there's things I'm connecting with. I did not understand insurance at all the last time I watched this movie, (laughs) let me just say. Now watching this, I'm like, I, I'm pretty sure, I mean, I I can't, Mm -hmm. I have no facts to defend this, but I'm like, I feel like 80% of people that work in insurance have that type of attitude. (laughs) That's awful of him just being like, Mm -hmm. you know, because Bob asked him, he goes, aren't we supposed to help or, um, yeah, he's like, aren't we supposed to be helping people? And he's, there's something that he asked specifically, and he's like, the law requires that I answer no. And then he goes, we're supposed to help people. We're supposed to help our people, starting with our stockholders. Like, who's <laughs> helping them out? Mm-hmm. I'm like, 
guarantee you your stockholders have plenty of money already mm-hmm. but yeah um, well i'd never fully grasped before this re this watch like the fact that bob is working in insurance but he's sort of working outside the system to actually allow people to get their claims paid out and get the help that they need like he is being a superhero yep. in his yep. own tiny little like corner of the the world that he's operating in um it's just that that is so unappreciated by the people around him um you know by yeah. by his boss and it's obviously very frustrating to not be able to do more to have the the little bit of good that you're able to do be shouted down and be something you know basically a cause for firing yeah yeah and i'm just i'm just picturing his little fingers it only works if all the little clogs mesh <laughs> i also love when he first starts that sentence and bob totally knows where he's going he's like a yeah. company is and then he goes like, is like an enormous clock <laughs> <laughs> yes precisely <laughs> um i so again just talking about how this movie just feels very real to me and it doesn't feel like a cartoon it feels like it's happening in this world mm. i love the sequence after um it's 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 a super brief sequence but after um bob gets fired from his job he has that whole conversation with this like government guy who helps Mm -hmm. you know uh, not replace but um yeah relocate yeah like relocate superheroes to other places when they are struggling it's almost like a like an ex-military type of thing yeah well it's like a witness protection type of um, right program yeah and i like how we get that whole sequence of him kind of explaining the stakes of what Mm. what's actually going on and, and what has happened you know, on a, on a legal level and why they yeah. are actually abiding by what the government has said. Cause I feel mm-hmm. like a, a lesser movie would have just said, okay, the superheroes, you have to not be superheroes anymore. And then they would just leave it at that. Whereas this movie is like, no, we're actually showing how like the government is implementing this mm-hmm. and how they're caring for these superheroes are yeah. trying to, and how there are layers got, like, of bureaucracy surrounding it. Yeah. And like, you know, taxpayers dollars and all these things. I just, I, I really like that touch because I think, mm-hmm. like I said, a lesser movie wouldn't have included that, but I think it adds a little extra oomph to this. Um, but yeah, thank you for bringing up uh, Bob's office because there's so much going on there um, mm-hmm. and his boss sucks. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Okay. Let's, assuming you have any thoughts, uh, let's talk about Edna a little bit. Oh my gosh um do you want the best part of the movie like i think everyone can agree just the Uh, most absolutely the most iconic person which like let's just say you know voiced by brad bird first voiced by brad bird (laughs) voiced by brad i never look back darling it distracts from the now it distracts from the now (laughs) i used to design for gods um no case and it breathes like Egyptian cotton. <laughs> um, oh my but yeah, I don't know. Is there anything? Spe- I mean, I feel like we could just quote her lines, but I don't know if there's anything specific that you want to say about her. I just wanted to make a special mention. Yeah, cause, I mean, cause I, I mean, think she's, she's great. She's so great. Great, great idea for a character. I, I was really like, this is such a good idea for a character. <laughs> you know, like yeah. the idea of not just following superheroes and what they're doing after they're supposedly you know meant to be leaving superhero life and and living in the real world but what happens following at least one of the people who 
like worked with superheroes who was not super themselves but was in that world and was like really essential to them like what's she what's she up to you know she used to be designing all these the all of these incredible super suits and now she's got nothing better to do than apparently carry out an extremely you know lucrative and successful fashion design business but she doesn't with doesn't no make capes her happy. no capes with no capes <laughs> um, um. But it's yeah. just such a cool idea. I think I kind of forgot how essential Edna is to the plot, too. I always mm. just think of mm. her as being a sort of side character who's only there for fun. But she's the whole reason that um, that Helen figures out what Bob is up to and goes mm-hmm. after him. So, yeah, she's actually a very crucial character, apart from being just hilarious. And she also gives the kids their suits. If she mm-hmm. hadn't given the kids their suits, they wouldn't have been able to do what they did. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I, yeah, I love Edna. That's why I quoted her for the opening sequence. But oh, yeah, yeah, she's, she's great. She's just, she's a firecracker and I love mm-hmm. it. And I think you can tell that Brad Bird has a, has a special place in his heart for, for Edna. You oh, know? absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, and she's got, she's got so much personality and you've got to just imagine, I mean, a, she's so tiny. It's like, so she's much so tiny. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like you've got to imagine like working alongside these huge, like, you know, tall, strong, like, you know, Adonis, like, you know, <laughs> statuesque, like people all of your life, you know, you've got to develop this <laughs> into oh, this yeah. like absolute force of nature. You can tell that she is the dominant force in any mm-hmm. room any, that she any walks room. into. It doesn't matter who's there. Like, she walks in. It's like everyone <laughs> is listening. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So shout out to Edna. Moving on a little bit. Let's kind of jump over to the, to the island because we haven't really mm-hmm. been there all yet. Um, so for me, I just, I guess the main things that I wanted to talk about here were just kind of my favorite sequences. I don't know if you have any specifics, but... Um, I just want to, I wanted to go over specifically the like Elastigirl's sequence. The first time we get to see her doing her whole thing. So good. And then the kids sequence, the first time we get to see Mm -hmm. them doing their whole thing. Those were thing. those were scenes or sequences where I remember watching those in the theater for the first time and being absolutely enthralled by what Mm -hmm. I was watching and just being like, I've never seen anything like this and what's going to happen and the mom's doing this but then on top of that like also then seeing kids participate in it and the kids kicking ass you know <laughs> yeah and um yeah I, I don't know if we can just go ahead and jump right into those sequences or if there's something else specific that you wanted to address on the island I know you said you wanted to talk about syndrome yeah but we can talk about the island sequences first they are amazing okay. I mean I love you know you mentioned before the Helen sneaking around on the island gathering information is very much her transitioning from, you know, sub- suburban mom mode that she's been for 15 years and getting back into the swing of things as a superhero. And she's clearly so talented. You know, she's clearly been, you know, there's a reason that she was a really successful superhero for so long. She's so good at it. But she does, you know, she's a little bit rusty. You know, she gets her leg <laughs> stuck in the one door and then her waist stuck in the other door, which is kind of one of my favorite sequences. Um, it's just so funny. <laughs> that um, that whole part. And, you know, she figures it out. She's She's got it all under control. But you can tell that it's been a little while for her. Yeah. I think one of the things that I love about these sequences is that this movie gives each superpower its moment to shine because Mm -hmm. I feel like for me with the superpower like Elastigirl 
unless I'm specifically shown, my brain is kind of like, okay, great. You can stretch. What does that even, how does that help you? Like, I don't get it. But seeing this whole sequence, I'm like, oh, this is a legitimately super awesome superpower that is effective. Yeah. They're very thoughtful about the ways that the different superpowers, what the capabilities are and how they would interact then when they're fighting together in the same scene. Exactly. Yeah. And I think it's just this beautiful, like, web that they're weaving. If we get to see each of their powers, like I said, kind of have their moment individually, Mm -hmm. So that way, when they all come together, it it makes this beautiful picture of, wow, they are so powerful on their own. But when they come together, it's like this well-oiled machine and it's Mm -hmm. kind of just instinctive, you know, it's like they're perfect puzzle pieces that come together and it makes this, this awesome thing. And, um, you know, I, I love specifically in the, in kind of the, the sequence where the siblings get to kind of do their thing Mm -hmm. because, you know, we get, I don't know. I just love how this movie has so many different character dynamics, right? Because we mm-hmm. get to see all of them kind of express their superpowers to the max individually. And then we get to see them do it all as a whole family. But then we also get to see the two siblings do it without their parents. Mm-hmm. And like, that was another thing that got me emotional. I was like, look at the siblings protecting know, each other. I know. Blah, blah, blah. I, I don't know if you're you the know? same, but I always really you know, as a girl who has a lot of brothers, I always really connect to stories that involve siblings and specifically brother, sister, siblings. So I always really love the the dynamic between Violet and Dash and how they, you know, they're always at each other's throats, except when there's someone else who's against them and then they're united and they're looking out for each other and protecting each other. And it's very sweet. Yeah, it's so great. And it's like they start together and Violet almost saves dash kind of by telling Mm -hmm. him to run because he's kind of stunned and Mm -hmm. she's like dash you gotta run so then he runs and then when he comes back he kind of returns the favor and beats up that guy he's like don't punch my sister (laughs) you know and it's just Mm -hmm. it's so cool and i like i also have to say i mean we have to talk about it this is i'm sorry people can debate me on this it's fine but the coolest part of this movie is when we learn that Dash can run on water. I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> it's I so remember, exhilarating. It really is. I remember is. watching that as a kid. And, and it's not just, it's not just like him running on water. It's also the film score in that moment of mm-hmm. like the music plays. And then when he steps onto the water, the music stops. Oh, and all Michael Giacchino's score for this movie is just absolutely it's next so level. Good. It's so good. It's so good. And it like... It goes silent so we can hear his feet on the water before mm-hmm. we even see them. We just hear his feet. And then we look down and we see his feet. And then he does this little giggle. And then when he yeah. continues on, the music just like completely crescendos into this mm-hmm. huge like horn. It's just, I that's the coolest part of the movie. Oh, it just is. So and I feel like Brad Bird knows it. I feel like mm-hmm. he was sitting in the editing room and he was like, that, that's it. <laughs> yes, 100%. Yeah 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 it's just like a completely mind-blowing moment it's this great illustration of you know your classic superhero movie scene of like oh my powers oh I can there's something I can do that I didn't even know and this Mm -hmm. is like opened up a whole new vista for me and this is amazing yeah oh it's so good I think my favorite part in that sequence too is just because of like you know the different things that you can think about when he gets trapped in the cave between the two guys who are coming at him and he sort of runs one way and there's someone blocking and he runs the other way he's doing a hockey stop by the way he's doing a hockey stop (laughs) (laughs) and then he just like 
stops and then goes down into the water <laughs> and then they crash yep. into each other it's like yes of course you know you run on the water but then you can just stop anytime and you're just gonna sink yep At, uh, it's it's so good. it's so good and then you know i love that that moment when you know the when they all kind of come together and they reconvene in the jungle and they have this this hug moment and they think they're fine and then everyone shows up and then they all just like start fighting mm-hmm. everybody and they're and the kids are like in awe of what the parents can do and the parents mm-hmm. are in awe of what the kids can yeah, do the little moments then, where like, like the parents do something awesome and the kids are like whoa because they've never yeah. clearly never seen their ki- their parents in action before and then Bob and Helen like rekindle their freaking oh. love. They're like, oh my gosh, like <laughs> you're freaking sexy. You're like, I love yeah. you. <laughs> and, the, and the kids are like, oh, okay. <laughs> should we leave? <laughs> like, I don't, should we give you a moment? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just, that whole, I don't know how long that sequence is, like starting from the kids to then going and then the parents coming and all of that. I don't know how long that is, but. I'm going to use the same word you did. It's exhilarating. Like Mm -hmm. I, that sequence is just so good. And the score throughout that, I mean the score in this whole movie, but particularly throughout that, that, that whole sequence is, is really powerful and and super well done. Um, okay. So I think that's a good moment for us to kind of transition into syndrome a little bit because Mm. syndrome kind of flies in and, and stops this whole family showdown moment. Um, so it sounded like you in particular wanted to talk about him. So why don't you get us started? Yeah, well, okay. So there is a school of thought about this movie, which I do not necessarily, I do not endorse or agree with this point of view, but I can kind of see where it's coming from. And so I'm curious to hear your thoughts, but that argue that this, the message of this movie is a little bit, I don't know how you would phrase it exactly. Maybe elitist in a in a sense in the sense that the the message of the movie is kind of against for like oh I see the importance being mm-hmm. the idea of bloodline and what you are born with as opposed right. to being the ability to create your powers yourself mm-hmm. if that makes sense and yeah. so the fact that syndrome who creates who is a superhero but be, has created his own devices to mimic kind of naturally occurring superpowers mm-hmm. is then this sort of representation of um, like a villainous representation of that kind of, uh, I guess, dem- more democratic approach to superpowers. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, thoughts on this? Well, do you agree with that or do you disagree with that? I think I understand where it's coming from, but I think that's an oversimplistic view mm-hmm. of what the movie is saying because I think the movie's focus is not is more on the idea of um like taking actually you answer first I feel like I need to formulate (laughs) my thoughts on this I'm not as good as you are at verbally processing (laughs) well I I was just gonna say that like for me I'm gonna have to externally process this in the moment because I honestly (laughs) haven't thought about this Um, so let me see if I can, if I can get somewhere with it. I feel like, I feel like for me, okay, I can definitely see how people would make that argument. I think that those pieces are there, but at the same time, I honestly feel more of a criticism here from a perspective of like capitalism. Mm. I kind of see him being like, you know, I, it's not necessarily about like, are you actually wanting to 
care for people. It's more so like I just want to use my money in order to build up my own power. And I think that like, I think that he definitely wants to be powerful, but there's a difference between wanting to be powerful and wanting to be a superhero. And I think that he, I do think he, he could have been a superhero, but he uses his powers for the worst. And so I don't think it's necessarily a criticism of like rising up from the bottom and proving yourself in this area where you're not inherently born with these powers. I think it's more so a criticism of like, you know, what, what are your actual desires behind what you're doing and what are your goals with the power that you have? And his goals are not, in my opinion, like they're, I don't want to say they're not good goals. That sounds really like childish the way that I say it, but, but they're, they're not admirable goals. He's merely just wanting to kind of push his own interests and gain more power for himself because he says Mm -hmm. like, but you know, there, there could be a Robin Hood sense of like when everyone's super, no one will be. And he wants to bring powers to everybody. He wants to sell his weapons. But the way he says when everyone's super, no one will be, doesn't really seem like this will be a (laughs) a better world. It kind Mm -hmm. of seems like a, it'll create chaos and blah, you know, more of a, more of a Joker kind of perspective a little bit, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I think I think that's probably the direction that I would go with it. But also, you know, we do get that that line from Mirage where she's like he values life and valuing life is not weakness. Mm-hmm. And and you know, I think that's a, a very good point of like you know, he he just he doesn't he doesn't value life the way that others do and so I don't know I I think I think he's definitely a very complex character because obviously he started out being very you know his goals were were virtuistic and he wanted to help Mr. Incredible serve the community and and he was so hopeful and all of these things and then you know which this is digging way more deeper than probably the movie intends but it begs the question like what is his home life like? It almost seems mm-hmm. like maybe his parents are non-existent. And so he sees Mr. Incredible as this father figure that he doesn't even know. And so what type of trauma is he dealing with that kind of leads him to where he wants to go? And so, I don't know. I think it's a little bit, I, I think that he's a complex character and he's not inherently good or inherently bad. There's a lot of layers to him and there's lots of evidence that you could put up on either side, but I don't know. I think ultimately it comes down to that line of like valuing life is not weakness and he mm. clearly doesn't value life. And I just think he seems like he wants to create chaos and he wants to promote his own power in the meantime. So mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. That's, that's my rambling that hopefully got me somewhere that makes sense, but yeah, no, that, that was that's, good. that's my take. Yeah. Well now, yeah. And Thinking about that, hearing that, and then processing it internally a little bit further. (laughs) I think, too, the the focus of this, a big theme within this movie is the idea of people should be allowed to be who they are and specifically to use the gifts that they have. Um, And really valuing the idea that everyone has a unique gift that they have to offer and that it's important to allow each other to use them, but also to be willing to work together with them, you know, because they can be stronger united than they can be apart. But, you know, the, the, the villainous part of Syndrome is this part that is, um, he sees these superheroes and he's this sort of, like, grasping kind of fanboyish 
I want to be this sort of simulation of a superhero while not actually having the gifts of a superhero. And in the villainous sense of like, you know, taking over someone else's powers rather than actually finding what he is good at, what he's gifted at, and, and using that for the good. So, like, um, yeah, so, um, sorry, I'm so bad at that. I'm so bad You're at good. verbally processing my thoughts. You're good. <laughs> well, I think one thing that I maybe could have made could have sharpened up the the thematic element of it maybe is emphasize the fact that syndrome apparently his gifting is that he's brilliant you know he's this brilliant inventor who's able to create these devices that earn him a lot of money um but could also potentially do a, a whole lot of good in the world and so he had the choice to you know that's his gift he had the choice to use that to help the world but instead he's using it to try and take over the identity of these superheroes in this really artificial way and so i think that's the thing that makes him villainous is this idea of denying his own gift or, or using his gift in order to take over another's rather than using it to you know produce good in the world if that makes sense yeah yeah I think I think that totally makes sense um yeah and I'm kind of I I think kind of continuing with my external processing here in relation to this question I also don't think that Mr. Incredible gets off scot-free in terms Mm. of the damage that he did to Syndrome I think that we get we get an understanding from him that he's recognized like, oh, I actually harmed this child. Yeah. And he has I a part to play a in how Syndrome turned out. Yeah, like it's not something where the movie ends and it's like Mr. Incredible did nothing wrong and, and Syndrome was bad from the beginning. Like mm-hmm. I think we we see moments where where Mr. Incredible is like, oh my gosh, you're, you're buddy. And, you know, he says like, I was wrong to treat you that way. I'm sorry. And, you know, maybe he was making that up in the moment, but I do think that part of that is genuine. And he does start to see that, especially as he connects more with his kids and his kids coming onto the islands. Like he, I don't know. I think he just starts to really recognize like, you know, I made a mistake and almost in a way I contributed to creating this monster, you know? And you know, maybe that's just me creating a storyline that I want to see that doesn't actually exist. But I do feel like, like I said before, this movie doesn't communicate that like Mr. Incredible is entirely in the right mm-hmm. and that syndrome is entirely in the wrong. And I think that that's one of the beautiful things about it because all of the characters in this movie are very well-rounded and there's complexity to them. And I think um, that makes us invested in their journey. And yeah. I love I mean, that. So many of the best villains have at their core some thing that's understandable or relatable to them you know you can see why the villain thinks they're right even if they obviously aren't and syndrome fits that totally totally yeah um what else i mean there's there's just so there's so much Uh, What what are your thoughts on mirage um my thoughts on Mirage are that I'm very grateful that we no longer live in an age where we're animating women to look that thin. Oh uh, like, <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I think that mm-hmm. it's one of those things that like is kind of unconsciously harmful. And uh, I'm glad that women are not animated to look like that anymore. Um, <laughs> but, but beyond that, um, I don't really know. I mean, I think 
I think she's interesting, but I don't really think about her all that much because I don't think she is the most interesting about uh, like the most interesting out of all the characters. Mm-hmm. I think a lot more about everyone else that she yeah. kind of falls to the wayside. I mean, I think if I were to really meditate on it, like there's an interesting concept there of like, why did she fall in with syndrome in the first place? It seems like maybe they have some kind of romantic relationship or have had it in the past. And, mm-hmm. you know, her kind of waking up to not wanting to be that person who she once was and wanting to move forward. You know, there's yeah. stuff there. Yeah. But she at definitely the same time, I'm like, like, I'm not entirely interested in you, but that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. She's, you know, she's well enough done. I think she's definitely... She's sort of a more James Bond-ish element in the story. You know, it's it's the kind of archetype that you see, you know, it's in the original Christopher Reeve Superman. I think it's in some James Bond films, but the the villain's girlfriend who over the course of the story comes to realize that the villain is wrong and the hero is right and ends up betraying the villain. Like that's a it's a pretty yeah. common archetype and it's well done. Um say please say please <laughs> i like the sort of like helen has this moment of jealousy but but bob is just like nope i'm so glad to see you yep <laughs> this lady who cares about this lady like you're my yep. wife i love you yep. very sweet <laughs> yep you keep trying to pick a fight but i'm just I'm happy you're alive <laughs> um yeah i also do have to say that i i don't know why uh mirage just made me think of this but i do mm-hmm. think the the sequence of mr incredible seeing the chronos in the rocks is a little bit i'm like why is Kronos written in the rocks? That that just doesn't that just doesn't make sense. And it happens to be the password. Like I don't wait. Why doesn't Why doesn't it make sense? He just happens to fall into a cave that happens to have the words Kronos written into the into the rocks. It just seems like a a very uh, unlikely coincidence to me. Oh well, I mean the coincidence is him finding Gazer Beam's body. Gazer Beam is the reason that Kronos is written there. Because Gazer Beam's power is that he like like shoots lasers out of his eyes, basically. So Gazer Beam apparently at some point in the past oh. stumbled across the code name Kronos or the password Kronos was, I guess, maybe mortally wounded, but managed okay. to hide away and write that on the wall before he died. I n- never got that. I love that. <laughs> It all makes okay. sense. I literally thought it was a coincidence. Like he just looked at Gazer Beam and he was like, oh, what happens if I look this way? And then he's like, oh, there's words there. That's fine. And then it happens to be the password. I was like, that is no, highly yeah. unlikely. <laughs> Gazer Beam, unspoken hero in this movie. I was like, oh, Syndrome just like placed him there right in front of the crone. <laughs> like that just doesn't make a clue. sense. Um, Anyway, thank you. that actually, thank you for revealing that to me. Um, <laughs> things you notice after watching this movie, like, you know, dozens of times as a kid. Yeah. Um, okay, let's talk about Lucius a little bit. I mean, I don't uh, know how much there is to talk about here, but he's just great. He's, he's so great. He's, he's so literally great. Samuel L. Jackson as an animated mm-hmm. superhero that could freeze things. Like, I think this movie was, <laughs> oh no, because I, I saw... I saw Jurassic Park first. So this this movie was not my introduction to Samuel L. Jackson, but um yeah, definitely an early iconic uh Samuel L. Jackson role for me. And um of course in the theater, the the moment that <laughs> I remember being the the biggest hit when in the with the theatrical audience was the whole honey Where's my super suit? <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm your wife. I'm the the biggest, what? What, is what it? do you need to know? I am the greatest good you're ever going to see. 
Yeah. I actually, one of the, one of the quotes that was in the running for the opening of this podcast episode was that sequence, but also mm-hmm. I love the fight that he and Mr. Incredible have in the building. And he's oh like, he's like, I thought you could use the water in the air. There is no water in this air. <laughs> I wanted to go bowling. Well, what's, what's your excuse? You ran out of muscle. <laughs> like, I just, I love their little, oh. ah, I wanted to go bowling. <laughs> it's, it's really great. I, so I love good. their argument. And um, well, again, with like smile. how good this movie is at establishing like longstanding relationships, Absolutely. you also get the sense that the two of them have been friends forever, have worked yeah. together forever. And just, they have this really easy banter that is it's it's that conversation about monologuing in the car like (laughs) it's completely out of context we don't Uh really know what we're talking about but But at the same time later it feels like we're entering into like an actual conversation we're just coming Mm -hmm. into the end of it and these two guys like yeah they just sit around shooting the breeze and laughing at each (laughs) other you know it just I love it and it Mm -hmm. like you said it establishes that they've been friends for a really long time you know Mm -hmm. um it is really incredible I mean you're not a big fan of superhero movies in general but as someone who is more of a much more of a fan of superhero movies it's so incredible how wait this hold movie... on hold on can yes. i just say it's not that i'm not a fan of superhero movies it's that i don't like what they've done to the film industry in the last 10 to 15 years there's lots of superhero movies that i've seen that i genuinely enjoy it's just the ridiculous industry that has been created in the last 15 <laughs> okay. years. That's well, what I dislike. As Not someone, movies in general. As someone who was a fan of Marvel movies prior to the most recent <laughs> phase, which has gone way downhill. But it is really incredible how early in the superhero renaissance this movie was made. This movie was made four years before Iron Man and The Dark Knight reinvigorated the superhero. But When was Spider-Man released? Uh, 2002 so this is okay gotcha post x-men post blade post spider-man but before the marvel cinematic universe gets on on gets off the ground um but i i feel like this movie is just so it's just so fundamental to the superhero genre in some way so many ways just the whole running joke about the idea of villains monologuing is like (laughs) something you almost might see in a marvel movie where they would use it as this really ironic self-deprecating thing but this was done way before marvel movies mm-hmm. yeah i mean this is one of my favorite favorite this is one of my favorite superhero movies i've ever seen period like i don't care that it also can be enjoyed by six-year-olds like doesn't matter mm-hmm. i think that this is one of the best superhero movies ever made granted i've seen practically zero superhero movies in the last 10 years but aside from that like all the ones that I saw prior to that, this one, this one's pretty high up there. Mm-hmm. Like it's just as good as a lot of the other great ones, you know? What would you say, just out of pure curiosity, top five superhero movies? Uh, obviously Incredibles number one, but what else would be on your list? Is Incredibles number one? I don't know. Ooh. I mean... Well, what else What would be number one? Well, okay. I haven't seen any superhero movies post whatever the second Marvel movie was, uh, Age of Ultron? Is that what the second Avengers one specifically? Or sorry, Avengers, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um so anything post that I have not seen. And you've only seen than... a couple of the the MCU movies, right? I think so. I, I honestly don't know. Um okay, so <laughs> top five, I and a lot of these movies I haven't seen in a long time. So this yeah. is just going off of like my my memory of them. Um <clears throat> I'm not in, in no particular order. The Incredibles is one of them. The first Iron Man is one of them. Mm. Um, I really feel like I, 
I know a lot of people say The Dark Knight is a superhero movie. I really feel like it isn't. Like it's a it's a movie that happens to have superheroes mm-hmm. in it. What about uh, but, Batman Begins? I mean, that's that's a superhero movie. Yeah, I mean, I would put Batman Begins in there, The Dark Knight in there, and then I really do like the original Superman a lot. I know mm-hmm. it's probably dated now. Maybe I would hate no, it. No, it's now actually if it's I really it. good. It holds up. I have not seen it since I, since I was probably like nine, so it's been a <laughs> long time. But I remember loving it, um, and mm-hmm. I feel like that rendition of Lex Luthor was pretty great. Um, but yeah, based off of my yeah. memory, I think those are the ones that I, that, oh, I mean, the, do any of the Toby original? Maguire's first Spider-Man was really good. I liked mm-hmm. that one too, but also have not seen it in like 15 mm-hmm. years. So I don't do you know. Do any of the original X-Men movies? Have not seen any of them. Okay. I've seen, I've seen X-Men first class. I like mm-hmm. that one. That's the only X-Men movie I've seen. Um, but again, haven't seen it since high school. So um, I really don't watch superhero <laughs> movies anymore. Um <laughs> But yeah, th- those are my top ones out of out of what I've seen. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, yeah, I know that list. yours Civil War is up there for you, but no, not Civil War. Um, oh, really? I thought you loved Civil War. Oh, I well, I love all the Captain America movies, but okay. um, I mean, it'd be hard to judge which between first avenger and winter soldier would be my top captain america one my number one superhero movie of all time as you know spider-man 2 strongly disagree with is spider-man 2 (laughs) which is just in my opinion the the best superhero movie ever made but um, that is so we can disagree with that on that when we do our inevitable spider-man 2 episode (sighs) it'll be great Uh, (laughs) maybe it'll be a jaws for you Honestly, I hope that it is. I hope that it is. Uh, what Geneva means when she says that is the first time I saw Jaws, I absolutely hated it. I was like, this movie is so dumb. The acting sucks. Like, why do people watch this? I'm never going to watch it again. I was pretty young when I saw it for the first time. And then Geneva, I don't remember how this happened, but Geneva was like, Tatum, please for me give it another shot <laughs> and we watched it and it ended and I was like um I stand corrected this movie is amazing <laughs> and it's now one of my you know, like top we grow we change movies. we learn we mature yeah so honestly I hope Spider-Man 2 is that experience for me yeah. but uh if it's not that's okay. I I feel like that's I okay. I despise Spider-Man 2 way more than I despised uh Jaws but that's okay uh, only time will tell. Um, anyway, I feel like we've covered a fair amount. Is there anything else specifically that you want to talk about? I mean, we didn't mm. talk about the final sequence with Jack-Jack at the end. Oh, yeah. Um, or anything like specifically about that last fight scene um, where they're fighting the machine after it gets to the city. Those are mm. kind of the last two things where I'm like, if there's anything we want to talk about there, we can. Um yeah, I mean, just, I, don't, just, I don't have yeah. too much specific to say about it apart from just like, it's so good, <laughs> you know, yeah. it, the action's so well designed, seeing them all use their powers and help each other and um, coordinate their powers with each other, which is always, you know, again, as we said, it's always such a pleasure to see really thoughtful use of superpowers in movies. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And again, like, I don't know what mood I was in when watching this movie, but like there were several moments in this final fighting sequence where I got emotional because we have that sequence where Mr. Incredible is like going to go off and do his thing. And mm-hmm. then, and then Helen's like, um, no, I'm going to come too. And then he's like, I can't lose you. I'm not strong enough. And then 
if we work together so then he goes and does his thing and then she tells the kids she's like you guys stay here I'm gonna go do my thing and then the kids are like no we're gonna jump in Mm -hmm. and then Jack Jack is like or not Jack Jack um Dash is like throw it and then Mr. Credible's like go long and then when he starts running Helen like looks after him like no my child (laughs) getting involved in this violent thing um and then like when the machine starts to come down on um on Violet and uh and Dash and it's and Helen thinks that it's gonna crush them she's like no and then Mr. Credible goes underneath and pushes it up Mm -hmm. and then towards the end when they really when they really team up and and he's like and she's like, first button, got it. And it's like this whole uniting sequence. Yeah. And then Lucius is like, look out, because he's trying to slow it. I'm like, ah, teamwork and high stakes well, and family, just, blah. I mean, even just like the the first button, got it. Like how she so quickly understands yes. what he's going to do. And she yes. can like calculate all the vectors in her head. Like, again, yes. you get the sense of these two people that have such a long history and are have done this for so many years. Like these yep. are their these were their professions for It's like decades. Lucius does the ice and then Helen mm-hmm. does the, the brain thing. Yeah. And, and so Mr. they're all Credible just snapping the back thing. into. Yeah. 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 And they so trust each other and they know how each other will react to things physically and how to account for that. Like it's, yeah, it's so good. Well, you know what I say to that, Geneva? Mm-hmm. You know what? That's the way to do it. That just like the old school. No school like the, <laughs> the old, old school. school. <laughs> ah. <laughs> this guy's always reminded me of Stadler and Waldo. <laughs> I I absolutely love that little it's like such mm-hmm. a brief little thing of humor at the end, but it's great. Also, the fact that Syndrome dies by his cape. Like, <laughs> of course, you, you know, know, it's classic it's dark. setup payoff, like just yep. just great writing. You know? It's it's pretty dark, but at the same time, quite funny. And then we mm-hmm. end on the kid going like, that yeah. was totally wicked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? This is a dark movie, I've got to say. I remember mm-hmm. this being, um, maybe my memory is wrong, but I feel like this was the first PG <laughs> Pixar movie, which I mean, like, PG is not, you know, in the grand scheme of things, a big deal. But, you know, when you're a, a young child and you're watching Shiva, Pixar movies and you're slowly was growing so up. so different than mine. <laughs> <laughs> Oh God! That's a little more it. intense. Um, I was—I mean, I was of an age that you know that didn't really matter. But you know, I, I had younger siblings, and so there was those questions of like, is this too violent for you know a child who's kinder or like preschool age, that sort of thing? Right. Yeah. Totally. Um, oh, and I almost forgot. This was one final mm. thing that I wanted to talk about. I love. I absolutely love. <laughs> the the final one of the final scenes when uh when dash is in the track meet mm. and the family's like no 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 speed up speed up speed up they're like slow down slow down wait no second place make it close go for second place <laughs> and then there's this shot of the dad like a dad next to them and he's like what the it's like what is going on he's so confused um but i love that little like last moment of humor that they have um oh also Sorry, this is the final point. I just, things keep coming to my head. I always find it hilarious how in superhero movies, there's this classic trope of like, if you do this one thing, your identity is concealed. And I'm like, <laughs> putting these little black little masks on the eyes. do not at all 
like make us not know who you are <laughs> especially the fact that they seem to work throughout the movie like it's right. just a consistent thing that they actually do work to conceal the identity like it's this this so doesn't funny. work like yeah. super superman's glasses don't work these are clark kent's glasses whatever like mm-hmm. their masks in this movie don't work <laughs> like, <laughs> oh can we appreciate because i feel like we've not given enough appreciation to violet um incredible who's just such a great character um her at the end when she's found her confidence and she's wearing her hair back so you can see her face and she starts talking to tony the girl the guy she had a crush on and he's so flustered like he's he's trying to ask her out but he can't find the words and she's just so casually like i like movies i'll buy the popcorn (laughs) and she just immediately starts walking away and he's like uh yeah movie yes friday and she's like yep friday i'm like man i wish i had a tenth of that confidence good you could (laughs) you could you gotta test it out um gotta try it yeah i i i agree and also just mentioning violet a little bit i just talking about more family dynamics and stuff i the moment when um they get in the car after finishing the whole fight scene in the city and and bob notices violet for the first time that her hair is pulled back it's like Mm. your hair is back i really like it she's like thanks it's just a it's just a cute little like father daughter yeah. moment that's happening and dash is like playing with the window and yeah. helen's like listening to these insane voice <laughs> jack jack's doing fine but ah, when are you coming back poor carrie or kari oh my gosh did you ever watch the jack jack attack short i did oh, i yes. did yes so it's it's so great um so good. Yeah, i mean I she really like really hung in there I really underappreciate, not, I shouldn't say underappreciated. They were very appreciated. But, you know, as I've gotten older and I'm less and less keeping up with the Pixar shorts, I'm also less and less keeping, or keeping up with the Pixar movies, I'm also less keeping up with the Pixar shorts. And I really need to get back into them because they're just Mm. such... They have really good shorts. Their shorts are so good. And I just remember those being almost the best part about seeing a Pixar movie, is seeing the the short come in front of it. I Um, absolutely love yeah very true yeah and i would just go and like you know find a a whole bunch of them on youtube or or somewhere and just watch a whole bunch of them at once and yeah they're so good can you um just for fun would you be willing to look look up like the pixar filmography right now and just tell me how many pixar films have you seen I've in already last, got it pulled up. In the last 10 years. How many oh, of these have you seen? Oh, okay. in the last so 10 years. Okay, so that is yeah. going back to 20, 2013. Yes. Okay. All right, so 2013 was Monsters University, which I did see. I actually really like that one. Uh, Inside Out, I have seen. Good Dinosaur, I've seen part of. I don't I don't think I would count that. I, it was like on while I was babysitting. and I. Yeah. Oh, that's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Finding Dory, not seen. Cars 3, not seen. Coco, I did see. Incredibles, I did see. Toy Story 4, I have not seen. Onward, I've not seen. Soul, I did see. Luca, did not see. Turning Red, Lightyear, did not see. Okay, so let me actually count up how many that is. So it's one, two, uh, three, four, five, five. Yeah, five. Out of 13. They've released 13 in the yeah. last 10 years. So- I mean, when you don't have kids and you don't have like young siblings to go to the movies to go see the newest Pixar's with. So I've seen Monsters University, which I also liked. Inside Out, Hot Take, not really a huge fan. 
Um, Finding Dory, I've seen. Coco, I've seen. Incredible 2, I've seen. Soul, I have seen. I tried to watch Luca, couldn't finish it, mm-hmm. so I don't think that counts. I've heard really good... Well, I've, I know some people like Toy Story 4, and I've heard good things about Onward. But I've yeah, not I've seen, seen... And I've heard good things about Turning Red, but I've not seen any of those. Yeah, I heard good things about Turning Red. Um, so I've seen six out of 13 in the last 10 years. Yeah. But the one I really want to see is Lightyear. That's just like, I'm dying to see that. <laughs> oh, yeah. <movie>. Quality cinema. <laughs> but we it all, is incredible. All like, of us were asking for that. <laughs> scrolling backward through the list, like in the, what, 20 years prior to that, the only movie that I had not seen is Cars 2. Everything mm. else I've seen. And also, prior to these past 10 years... I mean, obviously incredibly subjective, but all of their movies were good except for <laughs> two. So, yeah, I mean, and, are... and it was and it was the latter two, Cars 2 and Brave. <laughs> Not that those movies aren't good. Well, Cars 2 is bad, in my opinion. Brave yeah, is, Brave is, is right. kind of mediocre from what I remember. Um, yeah. I mean, I only saw it the once. But yeah, their their output is much more up and down now. I mean, just. I remember the beginning, though, like Toy Story, Bugs Life, Toy oh. Story 2, Monsters, Inc., Finding Nemo, Incredibles, Just Cars, Ratatouille, Wally, you know? Up, Toy Story 3. Like, it was insane. Like, mm-hmm. this was all we knew of Pixar. Like, this is just the, mm-hmm. you know... Just this incredible powerhouse that everyone expected such great things. And then, I, I know, don't... All good things must come really to a slow happened, petering out. <laughs> I hope that they'll have a resurgence, but they're going to have to kick the nostalgia thing if they're going to. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe well, and Elemental I mean, like, will. To be fair, again, I've heard good things about Turning Red. I've heard good things about Onward. Um, we'll see how I, Elemental I did hear is. good things about Turning Red. I feel yeah. like Elemental might not be that bad, but yeah, it also we'll could kind of be. I get the feeling it might be um, a knockoff of Inside Out a little bit, but we'll see. Yeah, which is also what Soul was a little bit to me. So, Yeah, Soul. We'll see. Anyway, um, cool. Let's move on. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, So, yeah. So moving on a little bit, uh, just to kind of talk about how this movie was received. So I had a lot of fun looking up quotes for this movie uh, reviews. So I'm just going to kind of read a bunch, but just to start out. So this movie as we kind of mentioned in the beginning was, is very highly revered by critics Mm -hmm. everywhere. It has a 90, uh, it has a score of 90 on Metacritic and it's a 97% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. I mean, I would love to know who those 3% of, of critics are who'd want to be contrarians and just say no. Yeah. I'm just like a on balance, bad movie. I was just going to say a name of somebody and then I didn't do it because I'm like, I'm not going to be controversial. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, so very highly revered by basically everybody. Um, so this movie was nominated for four Oscars, of which it won two. So it was nominated for be- Best Original Screenplay and Best Achievement in Sound Mixing, which it did not win. But it did win Best Sound Editing and Best Animated Feature mm. Film. So Definitely deserved both of those. I would have loved to have seen a nomination for original score, but that's just my own oh, personal yeah. opinion. Absolutely. Um, I mean, it, it, I'm curious what was nominated for Best Picture this year because the Oscars have always been pretty stingy with nominating animated films, particularly mm-hmm. before they moved to 10. Um, right. Yeah. So I think it was seven at this point. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because they moved to 10 the year that Toy Story 3 came out. I remember that. Um, at least I'm pretty sure that's when it was. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. 
Anyway, so moving on to some critic reviews. So I pulled up one quote from Jennifer Frey at the Washington Post, and she said, As always, Pixar excels with its animation, but what makes this family film even more appealing is the, is the smartness of the script, which is clearly written end-to-end to appeal to adults as well as children. So kind of confirming everything we've already said. <laughs> Um, this one I really loved. It was funny because reading a bunch of reviews, a lot of them were like really dated because they were referencing mm. other movies like Shrek and all and like Shark Tale. <laughs> oh, um, Shark Tale. Oh man. Um, but this one I really liked. So Carrie Rickey at the Philadelphia Inquirer said, a movie with the sweet soul of Toy Story and the boisterous spirit of Spy Kids, which <laughs> I, I agree. That. I love Spy Kids. I love Spy Kids, that too. That movie Man, is incredible. I would love to rewatch Spy Kids. We should review that on the podcast. We should. That would be fun. And then we'll do Spy Kids, too, which features one of the greatest lines and line deliveries in cinema, which is Steve Buscemi walking sort of to in front of the frame and looking into the middle distance and going, do you think God lives in fear oh. of what he too has created yes <laughs> yep I, the fact that steve buscemi is in i mean the fact that any of those the people cast in, in those movie, movies are just low-key yeah. packed with like i did not understand when i was little because i didn't know who mm-hmm. any of those people were but now that i'm older i'm like this is insane yeah. i mean <laughs> like, spy kids is my first time seeing tony shalhoub my first time seeing alan cumming my first time seeing ricardo montalban like it was just what an incredible obviously my first antonio banderas my first carlo gugina like it was my first of any of those um, people uh did did danny trejo like oh my goodness what what an incredible cast yeah i spy kids is incredible and i think that kids today should watch it yeah uh okay and then another one comes from peter travers who i'm pretty sure writes for IndieWire now but that's okay um this is from him at the rolling stone which I typically don't like Rolling Stone reviews, but this one works great. Uh, So Brad Bird has crafted a film, one of the year's best, that doesn't ring cartoonish. It rings true, which I also agree with. Um, And then this last one I really liked because I almost kind of feel like this is true, at least for me, reflecting on how I've experienced this movie. But so this comes from Peter Howell at um, the Toronto Star, or Toronto Star, and he says... Families will flock to and enjoy this movie, but it's likely only adults who will really get it. And I think that that's interesting because I think you can have fun with it as a kid and and understand it to a certain extent. But I feel like there's so much here that when you're an adult, it's like, wow, I'm really seeing all aspects of this film and all of the different dynamics. Um, Yeah, I just thought that was interesting. So to conclude, uh, I'll just kind of say a a final reason I guess why this film has stuck with me um I mentioned it at the beginning this movie just holds a special place in my heart the fact that you know I went to see this with my dad during a time that was just like super special life was a lot simpler and it was just a blast to see this in the theater like remembering the moments of Elastigirl doing her whole thing and her body getting stuck between these doors and dash (laughs) running on water and I just specifically remember those moments sitting in the theater and having such a great time. Um, And so, yeah, those are the things that I guess are going to continue to stick with me as well as just like how well-crafted it is. And it's, it's, this movie is phenomenal how it, you know, juggles so many different topics and just pulls it off. So yeah. What about you, Geneva? 
Yeah. I mean, you know, all, all the things that you said, all the things that we've been saying, like I, this movie, it's so much fun, but it also really does have that sort of undercurrent of, um, or not an undercurrent, like an, an awareness of darkness and, um, danger and a sense of something deeper, like deeper truths about life and about adulthood and, love and vulnerability for other people, letting other people into your life and allowing them to help you and, and helping them in return. Yeah, I, I think it has so many profound things to say, in addition to just being such a well-executed, such a fun movie that is enjoyable, whether you're a kid or whether you're an adult. So yeah, such a good movie. Really great. Um, So yeah, that is... Uh... That is our discussion of The Incredibles. Uh, Geneva, can you please share with us what movie we will be talking about next week? Yes. Next week we are doing, um, I think, one of the best comedies <laughs> ever made. I'm so excited for this movie. We are doing Some Like It Hot from 1959. Another our movie. first Marilyn Monroe of the podcast. Another movie that Geneva showed me that I had not previously seen. So, Oh, that's right. Yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. yeah um yeah so next week it'll be some like it hot and i think i mean i say this every week but i think it's going to be a fun discussion so yeah yeah come on back and listen to that one okay <laughs> bye <laughs> wow <laughs> bye <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at yourpickpod at gmail.com. Our theme song was composed by Joel Rushton, and our podcast graphic was designed by Kara Shin. If you like the show and want to hear more, please rate and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. We're excited to have you on this journey with us. Until next time.